Do you know, because I don't, off the top of my head, why are the French pissy because we have a nuclear sub deal now with the Aussies? And the British. Right. But like It's because the French bailed us out in the revolution, man. Like I mean, does everything stem from that? Because that's fine. Listen, how many times have you dated someone and <laughs> shit keeps coming up, right? <laughs> I thought we dealt with that. Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I will be one of your hosts, your tour guide today for today's podcast. I'm joined by your other tour guide, Dr. Scott Melson. Hello. What's up, dude? How are you? I'm well. We are uh, recording today on Scott's front porch. It is a spectacularly beautiful day. Yeah, well, here in the shade, it's nice. I imagine if yeah. we were in the sun, it would be less nice. Yeah, it'd be a little bit warm, but we got uh, we got a little got a little air movement, a little breeze. It's in the shade. It's uh, I just man, I love being outside so much. It's like good for my soul. The way that other people get depressed, I think, in winter because it's too cold to go outside. Yeah, I get depressed in summer because I don't go outside because it's too hot. Oh yeah, I agree. Like. We really just need a more temperate climate, right? Yeah. I don't. Humans were not built for these extremes, or maybe we were, right? That's why we build. We can build structures. We can. We can adapt. There. I mean, there you go. There you go. But I will agree. It is a lovely day. So, uh, listeners, if you hear, you know, the friendly purr of insects, a helicopter. A minute ago, there was some semi truck on the highway that. <laughs> It used its air brakes, and it sounded like flatulence. Whatever is happening, uh, that's uh, because we're sitting on the porch. So please bear with us. I hope that you are listening to this in a happy environment. Maybe you should listen to this outside, and then the noise will feel congruent with your surroundings. You can take us on a walk with you. Go on a walk uh, and listen listen to the show while you're on a walk. Right, and you know, next week, by I think Tuesday, it's supposed to... Drop like ten or yeah. fifteen degrees, and it should be nice. Looks so. like I think the low on Tuesday. I think I, saw, I think there was was this David Payne, maybe somebody. One of the, one of our uh, one of our erstwhile uh, meteorologists. local meteorologists tweeted out this morning that if we hit the low of fifty three on Tuesday morning, it will be the lowest daily temperature we've had since May the twelfth. Ooh, that I sounds nice. May the eleventh, twelfth, something like that. May the fourth, perhaps. I mean, uh, well, wow. was, listeners. Don't if you're if you're listening to this now and you're thinking I mean I'll just pause it and come back in a few days. Don't, don't do that. Well, f- because a lot of this information may be out of date by then. I mean things move fast. They do, and we'll talk about that as we get into the show about how quickly news can evolve. Move fast and break things. That's yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's what they're doing in the Western Heights school district. So we'll get to that in just a moment. <laughs> uh, well, so we we didn't record last week, Scott. Uh, we were dealing with some unexpected like. You know, family health issues. Everyone's okay, but um, it meant that we've had to be nimble with our scheduling. So, uh, listeners, I know some of you have already reached out and said, "Did I miss the episode?" No, you didn't. We just didn't record last week, and I, I was honestly busy with uh, other stuff and didn't even have time to record a brief note to say, "Hey, we're not recording today." So, thanks for your patience. We're back, and next week Bailey will be back with us. Yes, I will be. I'll be out next week, but Bailey will be here, and uh, then we'll have the three of us, the three of us back together the week after. The three amigos, and uh, hopefully some special guests coming up. Um, we've got some guests that we're working on to talk about some COVID stuff. Uh, uh, we'll more more on that to come as we get it lined up. Yeah, I've spoke to a couple of legislators this week and asked them if they'd be willing to come on and talk about a, a little session preview for next year and what they're. Even some of the interim studies and, uh, and speak about it. Or even a session preview for November. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the downside, or the problem with that, Scott, is that... Nobody wants to talk about it before Well, that, they don't know. even know, right? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of questions. For example, the redistricting committees held a town hall meeting this week on Wednesday evening, and I spoke to several members of the committees themselves, and they didn't know what was going to be presented at the meeting. Because it turns out, not Good. much. Good. Not much. But yeah, well, why, why should the committee members know what the committee is talking about? <sighs> uh, listeners, if, if you're following redistricting, they didn't release anything. They've had the data. They've had the new 2020 census data for more than a month. They have not yet released the updated legislative maps. 
They have not yet released uh, the draft of the congressional map. They haven't done anything. And so the rest of us are just floating along, wondering what the heck's going on. Now, and I, I will add, this is not in our outline, Scott, but um, I will add that uh, the problem with the delay in, in the legislature releasing the data is that they know what district they're running in, but nobody else knows, right? You and right. I don't know with certainty what districts we live in right. when the new maps are out. So not that either one of us are going to run, but if we did, I'm, I'm right on the line between two districts based on their map that they drew back in the spring. And so while the incumbents know they're going to stay in their district, the borders of that district will shift around, and that means anyone in there really doesn't know and thus can't decide if they even want to run or, or begin to mount a campaign, which is a, a disadvantage to challengers. And, and it matters because unlike, unlike federal congressional districts where there is no residency requirement, if you would like to run for a state legislative office, you have to live in, this, you have to live in the district for a minimum of six months. Right. So, and based on the timeline, they're going to have to change that for this year anyway, which yeah. it's just all, it's, now it's about politicians protecting politicians, right? Man, I, I thought I was going to make it more than 10 minutes in before I rub my temples today. But. Yeah, well, here we are. <laughs> Focus on the on the breeze that blows. It was nice. Uh, well, Scott, let's give a few updates about things that have happened over the last couple of weeks. And then we're going to spend some time, uh, listeners, going through the timeline of events for the Western Heights School District. Because it's, it is, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. That's exactly right. Um, Nondoc, uh, Megan over at Nondoc has done a tremendous job reporting on this, uh, and so we will lean heavily on this. And I, I'll tell you now, I, I spent probably an hour and a half making this timeline last night, and each bullet point, it's almost three pages. Each one has a link to a news story um, and or two, and I will put all of this in the show notes. So listeners, if you want to go read this, just go find the homepage of Nondoc. But it even goes back in. It goes back so far that Abby Broyles was still a reporter for some one of the first stories <laughs> in 2019. That's how That's long it's been going on. Okay. So uh, last week, um, Secretary of Digital Transformation David Ostro resigned from his post. Uh, formerly, you may have heard, I think we talked about this in a previous episode. So he's been there from the beginning of Stitt's administration. Um, and there was an allegation from Attorney General Mike Hunter that Ostro had, I don't even remember now, but done something improper, and uh, Hunter was going to investigate him. It involved bribery of some kind. Yeah, right. So the AG was going to investigate him or file charges. Ostro was like, this is absolutely untrue. Well, since then, Hunter resigned due to a personal, personal scandal. Reasons. Yeah, And so... Uh, everyone was like, oh, I guess... I'll... And and when he resigned, all this, like, grand jury investigation, whatever, went away, right? Everything was dropped. And then a month or so later, Ostro has quietly resigned as well. So I'm not saying there's truth to it. It's just like, this guy said I did something. I don't think I did it. Oh, the other guy resigned, and then quietly, like, okay, I'm out now. Perhaps it's just coincidental timing. Who knows? Doesn't smell fishy at all. Right, right. So that happened. Um, and then also, we mentioned this. In fact, we had uh, Joshua Harris Till yeah. on the show back in the spring. There was an effort to mount a uh, veto referendum about House Bill 1674. This is the uh, anti-protest bill that would basically permit um, someone who is, quote, fleeing a riot um, to run over rioters in the street and not face consequences for that. Now, the problem with this is that the definition of riot was also amended to mean people blocking a roadway. So let's say there's a line of old ladies sitting across Lincoln Boulevard in, in quiet protest. Um, if someone drove through them because they said, oh, I was scared they were coming after me, it was a riot, then in theory, right, this has not yet been tested in court, but in theory, they that driver could possibly be... Uh, you know, go free. The other thing is that the the law was amended to include the word unintentionally, um, and so and and so right. it wasn't. It was it was that if you intentionally tried to hit somebody, then you, you would still be prosecuted. But right. if you, as long as you 
unintentionally hit someone, then Whoopsie you couldn't be prosecuted. And and so that, uh, I mean, I'm no lawyer, but it seems like proving intent can be pretty nebulous sometimes. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so... This is not this is not necessarily the end of the story here. It's the end of the veto referendum process. There are other mechanisms by which uh, the law can be challenged, and the people that were trying to uh, that were collecting signatures, the groups that were collecting signatures for the veto referendum, are uh, I think planning to pursue yeah. some of those other avenues uh, if they can. Yeah, maybe after the show today, Scott, we'll go out in the street here. I'll sit down. You buzz me with your car and just like <laughs> nick my elbow. And then we'll have a friendly. We'll be, we can create a friendly suit. You'll be the yeah. perfect plaintiff. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he hit me. He hit me. All right. Um, so that happened. Uh, Scott, what else is going on? We've, you know, there's a story that we didn't mention when it happened, and God bless me. I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how we got through the episode and didn't talk about it. I think it might have been when we had uh, Melanie on talking about uh, Melanie Wilson Ruhani was on talking about the. Uh, the Texas abortion law, but uh, Congressman, Congressman and plumber extraordinaire, Mark Wayne Mullen, uh, undertook his own secret mission to Afghanistan, trying to, uh, trying to secretly, secretly uh, escort some Americans out of Afghanistan. Um, this, this made national headlines at the time. Uh, the Congressman was upset because he tried to obtain clearance uh, from the uh, State Department to enter Afghanistan and was denied uh, twice uh, to enter. He was apparently carrying a large sum of cash um, and uh, was going to use this to try and, I guess, hire uh, helicopters to, to get some folks out of Afghanistan. This is a family from Texas, as I understand it. Um, this also happened after two other congressmen uh, went to Afghanistan. They actually did land and and kind of observe the evacuation which um but they went they, before the they, evacuation was complete they went before the evacuation was complete and they were pretty roundly rebuked by everybody um and at that point the state department and the military had said please 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 american officials do not travel to afghanistan unless you're there on officially sanctioned business um the congressman slash plumber was not there on officially sanctioned business um, and there was uh, a period of time where his whereabouts were reported to be unknown. Yeah. And I mean, and the thing is, you know, we're like, he's, you know, it's fine and nothing happens. So we're laughing about it now, but like this kind of unsanctioned mission in Afghanistan is like literally what led to the Bo Bergdahl situation, right? You guys remember this was several years ago, private Bo Bergdahl. He left, uh, when AWOL left his base, um, you know, supposedly he thought he was going to undertake some kind of like secret mission. He was captured by the Taliban, uh, held captive for uh, a number of years. Um, multiple U.S. service members lost their lives in an attempt to rescue him. So this could literally have wound up um, with a United States congressman being held hostage by the Taliban, um, which would be exactly what you don't want. So right. we are, on the one hand, very glad that Congressman uh, Mullen is safe, um, but also, dude, I mean, come on, what, like, what, what were you thinking? Right. You know, he's been on TV, I think, now talking about what a bad job the Biden administration has done with the with the uh, pullout uh, of that. And like, OK, that's we can we can litigate that elsewhere. But you showing up uh, with a bunch of buddies trying to sneak it through some other country with a literal suitcase full of cash. Right. Is not helping the situation. Right. I get you want to help, but like maybe there's other ways to do it rather than do it yourself. This is like. Well, let's say you've got a plumber at your house, and you know they they run to the store to buy some parts, and you think, ah, I'll help. You're probably not going to help. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, other news this week. This this is just man. You know, you read some of these stories, and you're like, uh, okay, that's a move. That's something that you can do. <laughs> that's a move. Uh, Governor Stitt. Uh, Governor Stitt has uh, requested an investigative audit 
of the State Department of Education. Um, there are a number of kinds of audits that the governor can request the state audit to perform. An investigative audit is one that is looking uh, not merely to make sure that all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted, um, but is actively looking for wrongdoing, for misuse of funds, and anything happening that might be breaking <clears throat> state uh, or federal laws in terms of education, in terms of the way that the Department of Education is using its funds. <clears throat> governor Stitt was... Uh, uh, Quick to point out that this is the first investigative audit uh, in the history of the State Department of, Edu of Education um, and that this is part of his commitment to uh, transparency and accountability in government to the people of Oklahoma. It's not clear, as an aside, whether kicking two physicians off of the uh, board of the healthcare authority on a Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock in between two football games is also part of his commitment to transparency and accountability. <laughs> um, but that's, uh, that's really a different story. Um <laughs> I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> um, uh, this was an audit that was called for by 22 state lawmakers. Um, supposedly the impetus for the audit was the wrongdoing that Epic Charter Schools was found to be engaging in. Looks like there was some pretty substantial uh, substantial missteps on their part and how they were using, using their funding. Um, and a component of that was, I think, the audit that State Auditor Cindy Bird yes. did of Epic was like, and there was improper or oversight, yeah, by ins yeah, insufficient oversight by the State Department of Education, right? Uh -huh. However, um, that's the shot. Here's the chaser. <laughs> State Superintendent of Higher Education Joy Hoffmeister uh, was pretty quick to fire back uh, to note that. The department has undergone something like 20 audits in the last six and a half years. She also noted that Governor Stitt's uh, Secretary of Education, his Cabinet Secretary of Education, has to personally sign off every week on any expense over $25,000. So current implication there is if there's a substantial misuse of funds going on, uh, it's been signed off on by a member of the governor's cabinet. Right. Um, Who, I will add... Has already declared formed. that he's yeah. going to he's he's going to be running against about uh, against Superintendent Hoffmeister uh, next year. She, no, she's termed out. Yeah, he's going to be running to replace her. Yeah, um, I wonder if she'll be running for anything. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> the the chatter on the Twitter is everyone wants her to, but uh, everybody's asking. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see uh, an investigative audit of the State Department of Education will begin here in the coming weeks and months, and we'll see where that leads. You know, I think there's a lot of people that are questioning, is this something that, is this, is this political? Is this, is this a political move? Is this a, a, um, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's the answer. Well, uh, so this also goes back to the fact that Governor Stitt, uh, when he was campaigning or when he first got elected, you know, I think campaigning pledged to audit the, 12 largest state agencies or something, right? Like, he was like, we're going to audit everybody, which at the time we had just gone through some shenanigans at the Department of Health. Those have continued, but, you know, we'd gone through that. And uh, and I think there's a, a general sense among Oklahoma's voter electorate, right, that people want oversight. They want to know that agencies are spending the money properly because we are all suspicious of misuse, waste, fraud, and abuse Absolutely. Right, in government. And so the talking point that we've never had an audit like this before with the Department of Education is, I think, a powerful argument, right? And, but as you mentioned, it should not be lost that that doesn't mean the, the department is not audited. They're audited all, all the, the time. time. Right. <laughs> um, and also, uh, you know, I think Representative Andy Fugate from Dell City um, said this on Twitter the other day that, you know, the vast majority of funding from the Department of Education is spent by local districts, right? right? And so I'm curious to see what the audit will will reveal. Like, is it, because the state basically, like, is a pass-through for a lot of this money. Now, they do a lot of work as well, um, but it, I'm, I'm very interested to see what what happens here. Agree. Well, Scott, speaking of schools... The situation in Western Heights School District, which is in southwest Oklahoma City. It is a situation. It is an absolute mess. And I honestly feel terrible for teachers, for students, for parents down there. Um, and I, 
thought we would just mention it, and then I started looking at it, and I figured, let's... This merits a full timeline recap, much like we did with the Department of Health, I don't know, three years ago? Yep, yep. Um, that was a, a fun episode as yeah. well. Yeah. So I was uh, in Upper Room Studios. That was in Upper Room Studios, yeah. Let's... Uh, how about, I'll kick us off, and then we'll just go through this. So listeners, if you want to jot notes you can or I'll just I'll put it in the show notes and you can follow along but um, this we're going to start uh, in October of 2019 so literally two years ago right almost two years ago um, 15 employees of Western Heights District resigned they ranged from bus drivers to the assistant superintendent uh, and they cited ongoing issues of mismanagement at all levels of the district. So two years ago, people resigned, which means the problems had started before then. Um, and there, you know, we linked to a story here. You should read it because... Because uh, you should support little local journalists. <laughs> well, that and because it, they... Some of the stories are heartbreaking, like the condition of the buses and their transportation stuff. A lot of bus drivers resigned, um, which then made it... Difficult for kids to get to school, and then it like it, it was a snowball. Uh, so that was October twenty nine, October twenty ninth, I like mid October of twenty nineteen. So like the twelfth. <coughs> I'm gonna wait just a moment for this U-Haul truck. That appears to be dropping off a package for me. They drive so. Yeah, they do. They have really tough jobs. Oh, yeah. I saw a house for sale down your street here. Mm-hmm. You want it? You should buy it. I do, but I haven't looked at it online. It's just <laughs> empirically. Thank you so much. Right, Appreciate it. Got a Huckberry package right before I left the house too. So. I was like, "Oh yeah, what I order? Oh, a sweater and some jeans." I'm I'm looking ahead here. <laughs> Every time I get one of those, I'm like, "Why did I order three hundred dollars in clothes I may not wear this year?" I probably, so I almost always send stuff back, or I just buy it on sale and then. All right. All right, we'll resume now. So that was in October of 2019, I think the middle, like around October 12th. Two weeks later, so still in October of 2019, parents in the district requested an investigation into the district um, for those issues that everyone resigned for. Specifically, they wanted an investigation into Superintendent Mannix Barnes, who's the name you're going to hear a lot in this, in this description. That is quite the name. Yeah, M-A-N-N-I-X, Mannix Barnes, um, because his salary was $220,000, which is a lot. A lot of money for a superintendent of any district, much less one that's not very big. Uh, and the fact that the chair of the Western Heights School Board, a man named Robert Everman, um, is Mannix Barnes' former employee when they both worked at a casino. And as we'll talk about later, these two dudes go way back, and they've been intertwined in all kinds of stuff. Uh, and, I mean, obviously, Scott, if, if you worked at a casino, you were qualified to run a school district. Right? Those are sure, a lot of gambling going on in elementary school. Uh, but before we go on, I, I think, Scott, it's important. We mentioned this salary, but it's important to discuss the full compensation package that Mannix Barnes had at the time. I sent this to you last night, and... Uh, I was like, what? <laughs> you know, the, the emoji with the wide eyes? I got several of those in response. So uh, he was just hired in, like, 2018 or 17, somewhere around there, and uh, Mannix Barnes' contract with the district included a base salary of two hundred and twenty-five. No, excuse me, $220,000 with a $75,000 retention bonus that would be effective in June of next year, of 2022, which is, that's like half your, 30%. Yeah. 30% retention bonus. If you if you stick around, we'll give you a, a bunch more money. Um, he gets 20 days of unpaid leave for outside activities. Who knows what those are? He gets 40 vacation days per year, paid vacation days, 20 paid sick days per year, 20 paid personal business leave days per year, 
Um, and uh, also, so that's a total of 100 days of paid leave. And also it says reasonable time off with pay for professional growth and community involvement. So potentially more than 100 days of leave in a given year. We'll do the math for you. The district only has 167 instructional days. So basically, he would get paid $220,000 to only work eight months out of the year and just be off the rest. And the district would also pay for up to 25 semester credit hours, which is basically a full-time load, right? Oh, yeah. Um, for, for further education. So we're going to pay you a lot of money. We're going to give you a third of the year off and we'll pay for you to go to college. Did he get a Sebring as well? <laughs> That's a good office reference there. <laughs> he should. I wonder if he got a Sebring. A Sebring. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him like a, a Escalade ESV or something to drive around in. So, so in October 2019, these these folks resign, and then two weeks after that, the parents request an investigation of of Superintendent Barnes. Fast forward to April of 2020, um, around this time, the uh, Western Heights School District got into hot water with the State Board of Education because they unilaterally decided to suspend the uh, free meal program during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, this is despite the fact that 90% of the district students qualify. 90% of people are qualifying for free and reduced lunch. That's fairly standard across Oklahoma, right? Yes, I mean, I know it's Western a, Heights is one of the poorest districts in the state. Okay. Um, um, you know, the, uh, the superintendent, again, Maddox Barnes, um, you know, when asked about this and asked about, uh, you know, the fact that the State Board of Education was displeased with this, uh, I think Mayor Holt might have made some comments about this. this the superintendent said, uh, I double dare those two to come down here. That's a quote. Uh, and, and then he threatened to sue the State Board of Education. I don't know how often in Oklahoma we have had a local superintendent uh, of a board of education uh, of a of a, su- a school district threatened to sue the state board of education, right. but uh, it happened in 2020 in Western Heights. Right. Well, he threatened it. Right. And it's just, yeah, screw you, stay out of my business. We're gonna do whatever we want, and what we want to do is not give free lunch poverty stricken kids the food that they deserve and depend on and depend on. That's exactly right. So, um, so that was April of last year, early in the pandemic. Let's fast forward another year to March of this year, of 2020. Excuse me, of this year, 2021. And the State Board of Education expressed, quote, utmost concern about the operation of the Western Heights Public Schools District and threatened to end the district's accreditation, mentioning multiple issues, including a failure to provide in-person instruction since March of last year, so a full year of no in-person instruction. A lot of districts had managed to go back, right, like last spring uh, or last fall and have some in-person classing, uh, and they, and certainly this year, um, a decision in the spring of last year to not provide nutritional services to students, which Scott mentioned, an audit that showed re- uh, repeated violations of state law, including the use of a 2018 bond proceeds meant for contracting and repairing facilities, they use that money to pay off debt instead, right? So this is, they passed a bond, voters approved a bond to repair facilities, which are in a terrible condition, and instead the district uses it to pay off debt, which maybe it's because they're paying the superintendent an exorbitant amount of money. Um, a board member consuming alcohol during a public meeting, whoopsie-daisy, uh, a 23% drop in student enrollment, Uh, It dropped from 3,300 students down to 2,600 in the past year and a loss of more than 100 staff members in the past two years. And then general disharmony in the school environment and the community at large. So 2,600 students, 220,000 a year, 2,600 students, so almost $1,000 per student for the superintendent. superintendent. Yeah. That is is quite the going rate. Um, (laughs) All right. That's also, I mean, the entire district is basically the size of two high schools, and this guy's making a quarter million dollars. That's, jeez. Size of two high schools, 2,500, that's about what my high school had, I think. Um, so in then April of this year, 
The state, and I assume our principal, did not make $220,000 a year. <laughs> in April of this year, the State Board of Education placed the district on probation and gave them 90 days to remedy, to remedy the situation or face being annexed by the State Board. So the State Board says, all right, you either fix this or, like, we are coming in, we're going to usurp you, we're going to take over, and we're going to fix this ourselves. You may have foreseen the next step, but uh, the uh, the district did not comply and instead filed suit against the state board. So in June, the state board suspended the certificate of the superintendent, Maddox Barnes, and ordered the Western Heights District Board to suspend him, and the state also requested an investigative audit, there's that word again, of the district. Right. It's important to note the state board can't fire him because he's not employed by the state board, but they can basically make him ineligible for employment under the law and then tell the district board, hey, he's not qualified, y'all gotta let him go. But remember, his BFF is the board chair of the mm -hmm. district board. They dun, work dun, together dun. at a casino. And several other places, yeah. So the next meeting in July of this year, uh, uh, there was a, a state board, the state board approved a motion to amend the terms of that probation they put him on, right? So in April, they said you got 90 days to fix things. And based on uh, advice from their council, the state board said, uh, basically, we're going to put you on full state intervention. Basically, take over the district board because they were not following the law or complying with the orders. Uh, so that you'll be under state control for one year. We'll review it every 90 days. Um, and there's an option to engage with law enforcement as necessary to effectuate the intervention. So that happened that big, so the state took over the local district uh, for, because of their poor performance on July Monday, July twelfth. We're about to get into a day by day for the next it week. It's so weird. So later that night, a parent found uh, about fifteen bags of shredded financial documents, including checks and check stubs, in a dumpster behind the administration building. And question, yeah. Why was a parent going through the trash? Were they looking for bags or shredded documents? I uh, I don't remember exactly why they were there, but it, it threw out this story, right? So we started October 2019. We are now in July of 2021. So we've gone a year and a half, almost two years into the story. And the parents are outraged. They have called for audits. They have, uh, they have called for investigations. They have shown up to meeting after meeting after meeting. Um, in between here... A board member resigned, and they elected a, a new board member, um, but that's just one vote out of five, right? And there's been a ton of pressure from the public, and the public has called the AG, they've called the state board, they've really been the catalyst for this, and the board is not following what the public wants. I've not seen any article or heard anything about members of the public showing up in support of the board, of the, yeah. of the local board. So uh, I imagine... Some of these moms were like, these dudes are up to no good, and they we're show up and they're like, the they probably like we just drove by and were like, there's a bunch of bags that they were probably like, well, the picture of them on the on the story here is like a clear or whitish trash bag that's obviously full of shredded documents. And if you saw 15 of those like sitting next to the dumpster <laughs> with everything going on, you'd be like, hang on, let me go snag a couple of these. And they found them and they were like, Yo, I'm calling the news. Seems fishy. Yeah, and they pulled out some of the stuff and started putting it together, and they were like, oh, my God. Now, I don't know if any of that is wrong, right? Like, it's normal to shred old financial documents, but the fact they were doing this the same day the state board took over is suspicious. Coincidence? <laughs> right. So the day after that, Tuesday, July the 13th, the state board uh, the state board appointed Monty Guthrie to serve as interim superintendent for the Western Heights district and then the f the, the day after that on Wednesday the 14th the news broke about the bags that were found of all these shredded doc documents right yeah so then the district board president Robert Everman who as we have noted is buddies with ousted superintendent Mannix Barnes um at at this point, he scheduled a board meeting for Thursday, July 15th. And at this board meeting, the district appointed their own assistant superintendent as their interim superintendent, which is like directly 
like opposing, like like actively defying the state board of education. The state board had said, "No, you're not allowed to do this. We are going to hire your next superintendent." The district's attorney uh, argued that the state did not have the authority to appoint an interim superintendent. So we have just to, to recap. So Tuesday, well, so Monday, July twelfth, we find shredded bags of documents after the state board says we're taking over. Yeah. Tuesday, July thirteenth. The state board appoints the superintendent, Monty Guthrie. Wednesday, July 14th, the next day, news breaks. Everybody finds out about this shredded documents that were found a couple of days ago. Thursday, the Western Heights School Board meets in an emergency meeting and says, no, no, Monty Guthrie, you sit down. We are hiring our own person, which is uh, our own assistant superintendent. That's going to be our superintendent because we don't recognize that the State Board of Education has the authority to appoint a superintendent for us. Uh, so then Friday, the state auditor and the state department of education show up to do their initial site assessment for the audit. So, you know, after all this happened, this was already scheduled and then they show up like, oh, geez, (laughs) what are you guys doing down here? Uh, so that was, that was all in that one week in, in, that's that's quite a week, one hell of a week in July. So then last month in August, uh, August 6th, News 9 reports, um, that they had received some emails between those two, the competing superintendents, right? State-appointed superintendent, Monty Guthrie, and the local district-appointed superintendent, Kim Race, uh, in which Race tells Guthrie that the the local district's council said to tell him, we don't have any space for you to work here. Basically, Monty Guthrie emailed and was like, hey, I need an office to work in. And they said... There is no room in the inn. Did they also take his stapler? Did they take my stapler? Did they make him work in a closet off the break room? Right. So also News 9 went down there um, and had footage of like the facilities issues. And it was, it was horrible. I mean, it's what you'd expect, right? Leaks, mold, non-working air conditioners in a couple of buildings. It's like the facilities. And this is why they passed the bond because they needed this stuff, right? So if you're a, if you're a parent in Western Heights District, and you voted for this bond, like, yes, you know, we'll pay the extra money, we need this money to fix our facilities, and then it doesn't happen? Like, you were pissed before of mismanagement, yeah. and now you were even Real more pissed. pissed. Yeah. Um, that, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, only two of the district's 24 school buses passed inspection. Clearly, things are not going well. Jesus, all right. So then, a week later, there's uh, uh, an order from Oklahoma County District Court Judge Alicia Timmons. So she orders that Western Heights Public Schools must cede authority to the State Board of Education to oversee the day-to-day operations of the district. So so the, the, the State Board of Ed has said, we're doing this. Western right. Heights says, no, you're not. And they go to court. And the yeah. court says, oh, yes. Yes, yes you yes, are. Yes, you yeah. are. And then literally... That day, the district approves a $20,000 retainer for legal representation for Mannix Barnes. Who has been ousted for months. So, so like, we're not going to pay his salary anymore, but we're going to pay twenty grand for his lawyer. Right. Apparently. Right. So he was ousted in April, and this is in August. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll pay for him to defend himself. So then, August 26th, the state board votes uh, uh, unanimously, I might add, to request the resignation of Western Heights District Board Chair Robert Everman, who is Mannix Barnes' buddy. Um, state board uh, member and OU football, uh, OU football star Trent Smith said, Robert Everman is a scorn on your school district and a cancer in your midst, and he needs to be removed as soon as possible. I only regret we can't do more today. <laughs> that is a quote, ladies and gentlemen. That's, that's a good quote. That's a great quote. Well, Scott, I hate to break it to you, but as you may have guessed... Robert Everman did not step down, um, even though the state told him to or asked him to. Uh, in fact, just last week, here in September, Everman made headlines again in yet another bizarre manner. So the state-appointed superintendent, Monty Guthrie, created and posted uh, a meeting agenda for their September 10th school district board meeting. Everman, who is still just a... Uh, hanging out as board chair, 
Uh, apparently everyone is still acquiescing to his demands. Uh, he also posted his own competing agenda. In fact, everyone posted his like about an hour or like 30 minutes before Guthrie, who's the state-appointed superintendent, posted his. And the agendas were similar in content, but the items were in a different order. Uh, so that was very confusing to members of the public who showed up in attendance, right? Because you, you might have seen one posting out the other, and they just handed out one of them. Or they handed out both. I don't know. But if you're in the audience, as many parents were, he starts going through it. And it's like, well, he's going in a different order than what I have here. Uh, and as a reminder, back in July, when the state board took over the district, and then in August, like you know, the court ruled that the state has authority to take over the district. Despite that, the district is the district board is still trying to do their own thing. It's so bizarre. It's nuts, and you know, there was so I got involved with this also from. Uh, a freedom of information perspective where people are trying to figure out like, well, did what part of this may have violated the like open meeting act because you can't have two agendas for one meeting, right? Like they, that's the way it goes. So a couple of other things that I think are worthy of mention, Scott, because that basically brings us up to today. I haven't seen anything today <laughs> that's happened down there um, since this board meeting. But um, I, I think it's important to note that virtually every decision that's been made by the Western Heights board has been on a four-to-one vote. That lone dissenting vote is the newest member of the board. Her name is Brianna Flatley. She was elected back in April, right? And I highlight this because elections matter. Yeah. I assume that there's some kind of recall possibility that the people could mount against the other board members although at this point they're all like despots that are just like ruling anyway well and so this like what does everman have something on them do they all actually believe they're doing the right thing i mean this is this is remarkable the like obvious gross mismanagement the dissatisfaction of the parents of the children that they're supposed to be serving right open defiance of court orders open defiance of the state board of education i mean this it's this is bizarre. It is bizarre. Like, what are these people up to? I don't know, but I'm going to, I'm just going to go into it. I wasn't going to, but I think we should. So according to Nondoc's reporting on these two guys, this is from the last couple of weeks, uh, Mannix Barnes and Robert Everman, uh, they've been involved in a lot of kind of weird political and financial shenanigans together. Uh, in fact, the, the attorney, the general counsel for the State Board of Ed, described the relationship between them as, quote, an incestuous culture that's ripe for the demise of an organization. <laughs> Which is a hell of a thing. Is, there, are some, there are some fantastic quotes yeah. in this story. So this is from August 30th on Nondoc um, that had a, you know, they linked to a lot of their own stories. They'd done, a, as I said, a tremendous job reporting on this. And they, it's just fascinating. So Mannix Barnes was... Uh, the starting running back for the Western Heights football team like 30 years ago, right, when he was in high school. He lettered for four years. He was a bit of a star, Mr. Mr. Western Heights candidate. Um, he graduated in 1987, and he has gone on to do uh, a lot of things. He worked as the tax commissioner for the Cheyenne and Arapahoe tribes. He was a general manager at Lucky Star Casino, which is a big-ish casino, he was the executive director for Lawyers for Working Oklahomans, press secretary for former Speaker of the Oklahoma House, Larry Adair, chief of staff for former Labor Commissioner Lloyd Fields, CEO of the Lupus Foundation, interim director of community health charities, and CEO of a company called One Fire Holdings. But in there, he was also expelled from the OU College of Dentistry, he helped another student cheat that he appealed but took it all the way to the U to the Oklahoma Supreme Court actually um, and they ruled against him they a that's valiant, valiant effort yeah but how do you fund that kind of thing so anyway that happened um, he ran for uh, uh, the legislature as a Republican in 1998 and lost then he finished as a runner-up for the state Democratic Party chairperson in 2011. So ran for office in 98, which is 
back when Democrats still ran did, everything. Yeah. So he ran as a minority party candidate, <clears throat> lost, and then in 2011 switched to the now the minority candidate or minority party Democrats and ran for a state party chair. Through all of that, that's Maddox Barnes. Uh, Robert Everman has been present at a number of those twists and turns. Um, so just looking at uh, online information, government documents, that kind of stuff. Here's what Nondoc has. When Barnes was the manager of Lucky Star Casino, Everman was the chief financial officer. There were a number of employees who complained about uh, mistreatment back then anonymously. When Barnes was president and CEO of the Lupus Foundation, Everman was a board member. Uh, and Everman's wife was the president. The, that foundation recently had its 501c3 status revoked by the IRS because they didn't file their Form 990 for three years. Um, while Barnes joined that organization in 2012, there's no indication if or when he left. They've not responded. Um, he's still listed on their, on their GuideStar website, although that's not necessarily the best indication of status. Uh, Barnes was CEO of One Fire Holding Company, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Muskogee Creek Nation and, man and manages the tribe's commercial holdings. Everman is his chief operating officer over there. Um, when Barnes was interim director of community health charities, Everman was on the board over there as well. Everman and other so board members... Everman's been a board member, Barnes gets a job. Yes, right. Um, and in fact, Everman and other board members were ousted by the group's member charities in 2012. Because they hired Maddox Barnes? Yeah. Everman <laughs> said they were kicked out because they had conducted an investigation into financial irregularities. I'm sure. Um, when Barnes was chief of staff at the Department of Labor, Everman was the chief financial officer and administrative assistant during the same years. Both Barnes and former Labor Commissioner Lloyd Fields were sued by a former employee for retaliation for her political views. That was settled. It's all just super wacky. And there's a bunch of things like people in the city, oh, here's the photo in the story of the bags of all the shredded documents. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff that goes on including some other shenanigans with um, former Labor Commissioner Mark Costello and some connection to, to these guys. It really is just a big deal. In 2017, a post by the Cheyenne Arapaho Tribal Council referred to Barnes as much despised. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the, yeah. They also, uh, it says one complaint read, Cheyenne Arapahoe tribal members should ask why Mannix Barnes was allowed to hire his friend, Robert Everman, as CFO. Both have no experience in gaming, and the CFO has no degree. Both are not tribal members. He's uh, a CFO of anything and doesn't have a degree? Lots of things, man. Lots of things. So, uh, that was a long story to say, like, uh, first of all, local elections matter, right? Yeah. Because... Barnes had to be elected in Western Heights, and I don't know... No, Everman had to be elected. Yeah, excuse me, Everman was Everman elected. Everman had to be elected, and Barnes had to be hired. Right, and I don't know who was there first. But that's just... Just bananas. That is a crazy story. Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll do it. You could do, like, I feel like you could do a whole... You could do a whole, like, serial-style podcast on this, it, right? I felt like I was one doing those murder podcasts. Right, you could do, like... You could do a, and then, and like have the good right. music and yeah. like super edited. Yeah. Like Sarah Koenig in the background going, I just don't understand. <laughs> like, why did this happen? Right. You know? Yeah. Like interviewing board members and like got their voices, just their voices are disguised. All garbled, right, right. Yeah. Then in the middle, we cut for a, an ad from Parachute Sheets or MailChimp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those things. All right, listeners. Well, I know this has been a different kind of episode because we just kind of read this timeline um, and didn't really get into the weeds of like implications of these things, aside from saying that local elections matter. And next year, next year? We'll have, no, 2023, we'll have school board elections. I don't think it's next year. Yeah. So, um, so pay attention. Oh, on that note, though, Scott, listeners, if you live in Edmond, there is a vacancy on your school board right now. The Edmond School Board District 5 
which like starts around, it's like Northwest Edmond. So it starts around 2nd Street and then goes like 2nd and Santa Fe and goes north from there. It's a big section, goes way up. Um, that the person holding that seat resigned, it's vacant. They're not having an election right away. They're soliciting applications and they will appoint somebody. So if you've wanted to serve on a school board and you live in that district or have lived there for at least however long, six months, I think, um, and you want to be on the school board but don't want to campaign, well, maybe here's an opportunity to get appointed. I don't know what you got to do. I assume there's some kind of, you know, below-the-surface campaigning going on, but it's worth throwing your hat in, your, in the ring, right? I, I texted several people last night. Uh, in fact, my ex-wife lives in the district, and I'm going to tell her tomorrow at soccer to see if she's interested in serving on the Edmonds School Board because school boards need good people. That's right. Otherwise, you get folks like Robert Everman. <laughs> and we don't want that. So, uh, so there we go. All right, listeners. Well, thanks for tuning in this week. We'll be back next week with uh, me and Bailey. Scott, you won't be here. I will not be here. But Bailey and I and uh, Bailey and me. I guess that's the proper grammar. There it is. And then in two weeks, you'll have all three of us. That would be delightful. We'll have a group hug or something. Indeed. Maybe we can even do it on the porch again. It'll be 20 degrees. Oh, we may be fully into fall by then. It'll be great. All right, folks. Uh, we'll have a good weekend, a safe week, and remember that decisions are made by those who show up. And remember that decisions are made by those who show up. 